This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Yo, what's up, guys? You like our podcast? You want to make your own? You have all the power, all the resources you need to make your own podcast. That's right. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, let me give you a rundown. Basically, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. And here's how it works. Anchor lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or your computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to the most popular listening platforms, including Spotify with a single tap. Anchor is also the only place you can publish video podcasts to Spotify, which is super important. With Anchor, creators can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. That's right. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That is anchor.fm to get started. It's what we use. We get a little kickback from it, and we appreciate it. So if you guys want your own podcast, go to Anchor. .fm to get started. Peace. Hello and welcome to the Anatomy of Marriage podcast. I'm your host, Melanie Studley. Hello, my name is Seth Studley. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. And today we have a special treat for you guys. We have Dr. Laura Dabney on the show. So hi, Laura. Welcome. Hi, you guys. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for reaching out. You uh, have a lot of great stuff going on, and we wanted our audience to glean some wisdom from what you have to say and your resources. So if you wouldn't mind, just go ahead and introduce yourself to folks who may not know who you are. Well, as you said, I'm Dr. Laura Dabney, so I am actually an MD, which is a little confusing because most MDs do medication therapy these days in this day and age, but I actually, in my training in residency, psychiatry residency, also learned all the different ways of doing therapy and really fell in love with that. So I actually do therapy, um, and I developed a niche where I do mostly therapy for executive and professional men. Mm, interesting. Yeah, yeah the, I know. So you're a psychiatrist, hence the MD, and they have prescribing authority. And yeah, in, in we're in the same field. And most psychiatrists that I have interactions with don't do a whole lot of therapy. They're focused more on the uh, psychopharmacology of things and, you know, just different medicines for depression or anxiety and all this stuff. So it's rare that you have a, a perfect pairing like you. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> that is a niche market for sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. How did, how did you get interested in that? Or how did you start working with executive men in particular? Know, it's funny. Well, everybody, you know, business people say, find your niche, find your niche. Well, my niche found me. So when I first started uh, working in the field in 2000, I opened my practice um, I was actually one of the first people, first individual therapist to advertise. It was taboo. Medicine, doctors couldn't advertise for a long time. And then hospitals were able to, and slowly, 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 the different fields started accepting it. But it was not accepted really in my field in this area. So I started advertising. I put on there that I was the privacy MD because I worked by myself, didn't work with insurance companies, had a circular layout. And I didn't even have a receptionist, so it's just me. Well, all of a sudden, I my practice filled up with these executive and professional men. And, and my mentor is one who pointed it out. 
So that's a little unusual. You should look into why that is. So when I did that, it turned out that these uh, these very, very successful men were so embarrassed and ashamed that they bumped up for the first time, a lot of them in their lives, with a problem they couldn't solve, that they this whole privacy piece really, really spoke to them. In fact, they would sometimes park down the street and walk in so no one would see them. It was just so moving to me, and I've been interested in that population ever since. Yeah, I think that speaks to the overall stigma that mental health has suffered from for so mm-hmm. many years. And I think right now, maybe in the last two to, two to four years, it's becoming more normalized to go and seek therapy or medication therapy or talk therapy. And, you know, we, we say it all the time. Well, if I have an injured leg, I go to the doctor and there's no shame in that. But if I'm experiencing some sort of anxiety or depression or other mental health issue, we just kind of... We don't reach out for help, and especially the taboo around uh, men and the men needing to be strong in our culture. And that would also, I I think there's just a bunch of puzzle pieces together. Uh, Executive executives, like, well, I built this company. I'm in charge of, you know, hundreds or thousands of people. I can figure stuff out, but I can't figure this stuff out inside. I need to go help. No, no, need to go get help. Mm Exactly. That's exactly what I deal with every day, all day. So, okay, let's dive right into it. So you had reached out and you thought that our audience would benefit from the topic of being selfish in a relationship and how that can actually help the relationship. Because I know every everyone, everything says, don't be selfish, be giving, you know, be giving of yourself to serve and do all this stuff and your relationship will get better. But you are saying the exact opposite i'm thinking so let's dive into that yeah well i love about you guys and your audience is that you're always trying to get to the the root cause the what's the emotion behind them being real so you understand what i always say is that intimacy is really about transparency so this is what i try to get my um all my patients to understand is that you have to be first very accepting of your own negative emotions a lot of um, these executive men and a lot of people actually have made certain emotions their enemy. They call them enemy emotions. And the three top ones are neediness, anger, and sadness. And they just keep bearing and bearing and bearing them. And if a feeling does not get dealt with, if it doesn't get a chance to dissipate, it comes back to haunt you in a terrible way. They call it the bury and blow <laughs> syndrome. So they buried and blows. So what a lot of these men do to hide their neediness, because they think neediness is associated with weakness, it's not. I mean, the cornerstone of all relationships is neediness. Why do you get in a relationship unless you're needy? But they have declared that as their enemy emotion. So what they do is they do the opposite. You're all needy out there. I need to fix you all. Give, 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 give to you. And then maybe magically you'll give to me, but I won't have to say I need anything. So that is mm-hmm. the problem. So that's why I always say you, you have to be able to be comfortable with your own emotions. And then what they'll say is, but but then that's so selfish. Just think of my own needs. is mm-hmm. selfish, Dr. Dabney. Then we have to have the talk on knowing yourself is that's your job as an adult to understand you, to take care of you first, right? And that means if you're needy, be able to deal with that. If you're angry, to deal with that. If you're sad, to deal with that, and then you can better help other people. Selfishness is a, I always say, what's the difference between doing that and being self-aware? Why isn't it self-aware? Why isn't it self-love? Why are you calling it selfish? But it's because they put a negative connotation on it. Mm-hmm. Selfish is relative. 
you know, once someone tells you, like if you're working all the time to pay for a family vacation, one person might see that as selfish. You're just doing what you want to make your pile of money grow. Another person might say, wow, you're being so kind to the family to do all that. So you have to then listen. Once you take care of yourself, then you listen. You use your empathy next to hear someone complains. Then you listen to their complaint and then you have a problem. I need to do this. It's bothering you. How can we figure that out? How can we get a compromise to work that out? Mm-hmm. A lot of times selfishness has a negative connotation because maybe from what we learned as a kid, like, oh, you want all the candy. Don't be so selfish, blah, blah, blah. And that is kind of, you know, that's that's being greedy, I guess. So there's a difference in between greedy and selfishness. So if, if there was a wife or a, a female partner who was complaining of my my partner is is selfish. He just does what he wants to do all the time. That the partner would be wise to listen to that complaint and say, "Okay, she's she has some valid points in this. How can I make it work for myself to be selfish to do self care and then also have it balanced?" I guess mm-hmm. does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, what I think of when you're saying that is that, and, and I've been thinking about this lately because I've just finished reading a handful of really great books. One is the. Um, what is it? Brendan Bruchard's High Performance Habits. And then Mel Robbins has a book out. uh, I've read all three of her books really recently. And I've been thinking about this because it's something I keep seeing come up over and over and over again in all of these sort of high performance books where they're talking about, but they're not really saying it almost, that people really don't know themselves very well. And until we spend the time in what looks like a selfish act, understanding who we are, not necessarily like, going and doing whatever we want that there's a whole a whole different realm of doing things versus understanding self Mm -hmm. and i think that's kind of what you're getting at is that we need to really have this sort of acknowledgement of and an assessment of what we're doing and why we're doing it and thinking about it more complexly how it relates to others how it like if we try to suppress something it's just going to come back around we need to know the the research behind that and know that this is something that's born out in all of the, the works of marriage studies and all that stuff Mm -hmm. and i think that that's what you're that's what i feel like you're getting at and that's what i really enjoy about this concept is that people really are kind of covering their eyes and walking around and being like well if i just do the thing i'm supposed to do enough times and say i love you and buy the flowers and save for the vacation it probably (laughs) stuff will be fine and it really it doesn't work that way unfortunately (laughs) yeah I love how you say that because that's exactly what the process is in therapy is where I get them first to, they first have to understand it here. What, and that's what you're saying. It's, mm-hmm. it, it, well, a lot of times people say is, well, if I get in touch with my anger, I'm going to act out. I'm going to do something. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying, what I'm saying, and I've been saying, is there's a huge difference between understanding. It's all in your head. If you first have to do all this in your head, mm-hmm. then you can decide on the best action to soothe that emotion. Mm-hmm. You, know, you aren't going to have a feeling and then murder somebody. It, it is a whole, whole ocean between the feeling and an action. So you have to get really comfortable with that because a lot of people truly believe those things are connected. And it's very hard for them to then sit with, examine, process. And then the other thing they always say is, well, I can't always sit there and think about my anger or my sadness. And that's true. But then it's incumbent on you in taking care of yourself to unpack that bag at some point. Mm-hmm. Later in the day, or you're, you know, maybe before you go to bed, like, oh wait a minute, I was pissed today. That guy at lunch, what the heck was that about? You know, to get go through the empty that bag. It's very yeah, important. process. Yeah, process. and mm-hmm. yeah, that makes me think of um, you talked about people 
are worried about that if they sit and think about how much anger they have, that they're going to murder somebody. And that's something that I think lots of people do in a million different ways. So they, so what they end up doing is they know that there's this thing that they need to deal with, whether that's anger, could be bitterness, could be resentment or jealousy. It could be fear that your partner's going to cheat. And for some reason, they think that if they think about that thing, it will somehow make it happen and, it, and everything will fall apart. And right. the hardest part about that is we do that in relationships, but we also do that with ourselves, just personally. Like, oh, okay. if, I, if I, you know, I have a fear of flying, but if I talk about it, or if I go to a therapist, it'll be worse and I'll die in an airplane crash. I don't know. Um, yeah. But so but the worst part about that is, or not the worst part, the most exciting part is that when you decide that you're going to be okay with being uncomfortable and you decide to sit in that space uncomfortably, you don't murder someone and, you, and nothing bad happens other right. than you unpack the dirty laundry and you put it in the washing machine or you put the dirty dishes of your life in the dishwasher. Mm -hmm. And I think I want to really encourage people to be okay with being uncomfortable. So I think that's really what we're avoiding is just the discomfort. It feels weird and scary and whatever but what were you going to say you started to say no, something i you just <laughs> taking you're just taking the words out of my mouth so i'm just so, I'm so enjoying that um but then, so then i would say that the next thing was with all that is um that there it's the discomfort so what i see a lot happening is that people are taking positive things and this whole positive mindfulness they're misusing because what they're doing is saying i'm going to just think positive thoughts so that's the other way of burying the negative, right? If I just think positive. I just think, oh, well, the sun is shining, so I shouldn't be angry at so-and-so for doing whatever. But my other point there is that uh, positivity, positive attitude is the result. It's a result of being uncomfortable first, letting that dissipate, giving that a chance to process, air out, whatever the word is. And then the positivity comes in. Mm -hmm. But you have to deal with that first. Yeah, it's. I've said it on the show before numerous times. The only way out of something is through mm -hmm. something, through. right? Like and the only way out is through. So, and I have noticed myself just kind of ignoring things and checking out through uh, snacking or Facebook <laughs> or checking email or going to the next project or interviewing the next guest or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I really, really like what you said and appreciate how a lot of people are getting mindfulness wrong mm -hmm. because like, oh, be mindful and be intentional. Or like positivity. And positivity. Just, you know, focus on the sunshine and things will be fine. No, it's it's really hard. Like if you've ever tried to meditate for the first time, and this has happened to me a couple of times, yes. like 30 seconds seems unbearable. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting kind of, you know, crisscrossed in a quiet room, close my eyes, and I'm like, this is so freaking boring. It's terrible, right? And it's really, you have to build yourself up and the only way out is through. So if I am willing enough, being like, like the men that you interview, they, mm -hmm. they can't hold on to that, or not interview, but sit with, they can't hold on to this um, cognitive dissonance or uncomfortableness right. or whatever it is any longer. And they have to reach out to a therapist and, you know, throw their misconceptions about therapy out the window and be willing to go through it. And sometimes we have to do that in marriages. I believe it starts with yourself. You have to be selfish to, mm -hmm. to, to take that time for yourself. And then hopefully your partner is understanding and willing to see your process and then, and then also want to go through that process mm -hmm. themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had a really weird thought that came into my mind. And the thing that 
came into my head was that if you imagined it like you're gonna, you're trying to go on a journey, a journey relationally, right? So like in our relationship, I, w- I would like to get to the point where we can travel and do this with our kids and blah, blah, blah. And it's such a great dream and a goal. But then the second something makes me uncomfortable, I just go, ah, I'll just take this little side route here for a minute because that up there, that's really hard. That looks really scary. So I'm just going to go over here just for maybe a week or two or a year or seven. Yeah. <laughs> and then eventually people don't realize they've just taken these little side routes that do nothing but wind them back to the very beginning of the path. And they've never actually walked on the path because the path was scary and hard and took work. And, and, and then I think, too, with the positive, like you're saying, sort of misconstruing the positive mindset stuff. I think that that's you've interpreted me doing that sometimes because I often do the very the hard self work of like, oh, I was such a jerk and this is why and I need to apologize and whatever. And then I show Seth only my positivity. I don't show him that I process the stuff deeply. Mm. I just didn't I just never thought about that. Mm-hmm. And so I think maybe there is so much more to this this idea that we need to be selfish, think about our stuff, but then also share that, you know. And that's terrifying. <laughs> exactly. So, right. So it's terrifying to accept it within yourself and then to express that in a way that the person can hear and that, you know, said, cause I always, that's always the next step. When once they are accepting, okay, I have this anger, I'm more aware of it or neediness, sadness, whatever it is. They're always like, but I can't tell my wife. I can't. And we have to go down the whole path. <laughs> Why? You know, then they have this whole fantasy that they, what we call projection. They're projecting their negative feelings about their negative emotions onto her. She's never going to be able to accept that. She's going to be so angry at me, this whole thing. So then we have to do like the phobia you were talking about. We have to practice it and realize you you aren't telepathic. You really don't know what he or she is going to say. Really, I you've been wrong one. every single time. <laughs> so we need you to say it more so you can see it actually ends up being helpful. She Intimacy is about transparency. She wants to know. That's why you give her, in my case, with my patients, you've given her everything, the life of her dreams, but she's still not content because she wants to know you. She wants to connect with you. And that sometimes means showing the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes me think I'm constantly well I've gotten better at it now because I know it's not super healthy but I was constantly in the past being like hey Seth what are you thinking about and he's like nothing what are you talking about and I'm like well come on I mean let's connect you know and here he is thinking I'm connecting by like you know providing our home buying all of our food being a good dad but I'm I'm here like begging for more when he literally is giving me everything Mm -hmm. and so it's hard because I had to realize that that wasn't I wasn't approaching it super awesomely. <laughs> yeah, and then I think also I had to realize, like, she's asking what I'm thinking. And, you know, John Gottman's work, like, bids for attention and mm-hmm. turning in versus turning away. That mm-hmm. was her bidding for my attention. Hey, what are you thinking? And literally, sometimes I'm just like, uh, nothing. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, air, yeah. you know? And, but what she was doing, so she was she was wanting to talk. So mm-hmm. it would be wise of me to process that in my mind oh she wants to talk okay let's you know i i actually was thinking about working out later Mm -hmm. or you know having to cut the grass or call back some clients or email whoever Mm -hmm. and that gives her an an insight into my world and really that's all she wanted she didn't want to talk about you know philosophy and you know the origins of the universe or anything crazy deep or anything Mm -hmm. just wanted to talk about oh did you go to the gas station today yeah super small stuff right yeah and i think it's funny because i think he always thought it was like 
I need to hear some very wise thing from you right now. But I was really just like, no, did you like have a good time at the grocery store? Like, that's all I'm interested in. And maybe, maybe this is what it was. And I'm having an insight into it. I, yeah, I, maybe I was, or am, she asked me what I was thinking yesterday. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and maybe I am, feel, I, I feel the need to perform in some way. Like I have to, answer some question or give her some emotional satisfaction or something. So it makes me feel on the spot. That's so, what it is. So what's wrong with him, Doc? Uh, <laughs> but, but on the spot isn't a feeling. Oh, Ooh, that's a very good point. Okay, then what is it then? What is, I'm asking you, what is the feeling? <laughs> We're going to do a little therapy. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I, uh, I, you can bill us later. Yeah. Uh, um, oh. What what is the feeling? I guess feeling overwhelmed or feeling like oh this is kind of scary. The anxiety? Maybe maybe Fear? it is. That's so oh, weird. I'm 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 noticing myself twisting my mic cord right now and like uh like, this is this I'm is weird. <laughs> well, no, I would like to figure it out. Uh, Think um, more. What else? So on the spot. Just kind of on. I I I, I feel like I'm being put on the spot and that makes me uh, kind of anxious and needing to say the right answer. I guess. Does that make how, sense? How, do, how do how do most people feel when they're when someone's putting them on the spot though? I'm not they sure. Feel you feel angry. <laughs> I was thinking antsy, antsy maybe, or a little. I, I, I think the anger makes you anxious, perhaps, or the irritation. Irritation. Yeah. Most people, yeah. when they say you're putting me on the spot, it's not anxious. It's happy. It's typically mm-hmm. angry. Yeah. But that's just a typical. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but. To solve, to, so this is what I would do if this was a couple or if I was in treatment with one of you. I would say, what is keep, what, you're performing because you're getting, either you're ignoring, you're ignoring the irritation about being put on the spot or you want to please her to get her to stop as opposed mm. to saying, why are you asking me? Oh, so I could ask her, hey, why are you asking me what I'm thinking? And then we have a conversation? Well, because then you're finding it because you're guessing that she wants to connect in all this. If I, if I were talking to you, that's what I would say. If I was talking to you, I'd say, what are you, what are you, why are you asking him that? What do you want? And so instead of saying, I really feel like connecting right now, I feel disconnected and want to do something close with you. Instead of being a little bit more honest, yeah. you go after him for his thoughts instead of revealing yours. Oh, Ooh. that's perfect. So Ooh. a really great example is, and we, we are fairly vulnerable on this show and you know not to put you on the spot or anything like that but in in our relationship sometimes like when i've been wanting to connect intimately at, at night mm-hmm. in bed i would say to her hey can we go to bed early like <laughs> what like, does that mean <laughs> yes you don't so you both do this that's right funny. we're, we're right. awesome <laughs> and you're like <laughs> well we're working through stuff right and uh so what am i really meaning by that okay. hey I've yeah. been thinking about you sexually during the day. I would like to connect with you emotionally and physically later on. Let's get in bed early so we can make time for that. <laughs> and then I'd say, Perfect. Yeah, and then, and then she would say, so what are you thinking? Not yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What are you really thinking? What you really right, what are you really thinking? Well, thinking? what's funny is that when you were saying – when you were you were kind of going back and forth a minute ago about the what were you th- or what are you thinking question, the one of the things I thought was you said you felt put on the spot, and I literally was like, that is so weird because if you asked me what I was thinking, I'd be like, he's asking me what I'm thinking. We're gonna talk. Uh-uh. <laughs> like I would love it, uh, which I just think is so funny because I'm doing to you what I 
would want someone to do to me right you know, or you to do to me yeah. but then i i double love what you said that instead of sharing what i'm thinking i'm going after his emotions will you talk more about that <laughs> Yeah. Well, you, I think you just did. Instead of saying, I, I would really love it if you asked me what I'm thinking once in a while. Right? You just you go all around it with the hopes that he'll figure it out because something's hard about saying, I need you to ask me what I'm thinking once in a while, or I need you to reach out to me a little bit more than you do typically. Yeah. See? Okay. So th- this is really interesting because we've had recent conversations where uh, she feels like she is the emotional caretaker because we have three kids. She's the emotional caretaker of our family, and in some cases, that is true. And however, I find it, I think some of our uh, conflicts or miscommunication is around you putting stuff back on me, like asking me what I'm thinking. So really what you're doing, you're lobbing the ball over to me. It's like, well, he didn't hit it back. Mm -hmm. It's his fault. Instead of saying, I need some emotional support, I'm going... Ugh, why don't mm-hmm. you ever uh right and, and I'm, I'm doing the same thing around mm-hmm. you know like going to bed together like i want you to into it do you going mean intimacy to, not going to bed together. yeah not going to sleep yeah you know <laughs> being uh, in, intimate we there can't even see the right. things we actually mean <laughs> <laughs> having sex okay so uh, uh i'm lobbing it back over to you and then when that doesn't happen i'm like well you know maybe she doesn't want to or something you know whatever or you could say you could into it the same mm-hmm. thing he doesn't want to talk to me he's emotionally closed off mm-hmm. or right? he can't maybe or he that, can't. maybe i would into it and mind read which is not great right that well he just can't do it so i've got to do it and uh yeah and it, it feels that that question what are you thinking makes me feel like i'm being put on the spot in like sixth grade algebra when the teacher calls on me i'm like i have no idea what is the, and the right whole class is angle there. of the obtuse quadrilateral and that's, that's what geometry <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. so well we we kind of segued right into some of the other things that i wanted to talk about uh emotional emotional availability and believe it or not on my bullet point is poor communication styles that men use <laughs> Well, well, women too. I mean, I am yeah, well, using it as well. In general, yeah. So <laughs> we already covered that one. Uh, what, and I think this was on some of my research on, on your website and some of the resources that you have. I have down why, why we think, well, why do men think that pickup lines would work? Oh. <laughs> can, can you speak to that a minute? Because I have it down in my notes. And then what women should know about the male thinking process and the brain because mm-hmm. you work with mostly men. I think I think the pickup lines is again back to our culture where men aren't supposed to have any emotion. This is a again a sort of a way around a shortcut. I don't want to tell you anything vulnerable about myself, but if I just use some pickup line, then you'll want to sleep with me and I'll get what I need without having to be more vulnerable by saying a need or some emotion. So I do think that the pickup lines is sort of a um, is sort of a way to bypass emotions that men have learn culturally that they have to use because there's something wrong with having emotions. And I think sex is the same thing. I think men, historically, men, um, people always ask me, do men really want more sex than women? I have had women who complain they're not getting enough sex. But historically, at least in my practice, what I see, more men do complain about that. But I think we're back to, again, it's cool, it's manly, it's okay to need sex. I have one patient, for instance, who that's all he is able to say he needs. And he needs so much more, but he can't say it. The only need he can express, the only need that he feels is correct, is to say he needs sex. Wow. So sometimes they put everything into that. I want to, yeah. Well, because uh, that is socially acceptable. 
Yeah. Like you said, yeah. you know, being needy, having mental health issues, whatever, whatever uh, uh, degree is not okay. Mm-hmm. It's well, not okay. Like I can go make money and I can have sex and those are basically what I need and food. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. That That's crazy because that makes me think I often think about when couples will write in and say something along those lines of like either my husband wants sex more or how do I have sex more with my husband because I don't really want to whatever it is it's like this big mix up of things right. and I often think but I don't think I've ever expressed it in the podcast that um, for Seth anyway and I think this is probably fairly common of men like you're saying because socially they're not really allowed to express in this sort of rainbow of ways that they would express or this vast multifaceted way and so I think they really do put all of their emotional relational stuff or the majority of it, they wrap it into sex. And I think yes. it, it makes them think they want more sex all the time. Cause then everything, uh, like if there's an emotional trigger, it is, goes right to sex. It doesn't go to, Oh, I need to emotionally connect. It goes to sex. If mm-hmm. there's a relational trigger, it's not, I need to relationally figure this out. It just goes right back to sex. You yep. know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. it's like all these different triggers go to one single spot, but where for a woman, or, I mean, maybe not just women, but, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm like, oh, we're not communicating, I think we need to communicate, not we need to have sex. You know, I, I don't boil it all down to one thing. Yeah, it's like these uh, 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 half a dozen of core emotions are for men are getting all funneled, funneled down and then bottlenecked into, okay, sex. Mm-hmm. So really, sex means everything mm-hmm. almost yeah. for for men who think this way and definitely I'm guilty because culturally I was, you know, uh, assimilated that way and all these emotions um talking, being loved, being held, uh being emotionally vulnerable. I say healing from the past, all Healing those all the stuff is like okay, sex. And then if I'm miss um I don't know. I was going to say misdiagnosing, but nobody would use that word. Uh, all my emotions is like, okay, sex fixes everything. Then that's going to put an incredible strain on mm-hmm. a partner, yes. right? And then, oh, well, if, if the guy is not getting enough sex, if the female is not getting enough sex, then you have other issues. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, we need to go to therapy and not even talk about sex. We yeah. need to talk about all these yeah. overarching things going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, wow. the other piece, that, just to add to that beautiful discussion right there is just uh, men don't realize or I don't know how much men realize that women are really um, culturally trained to be the opposite we still my sons are in their early 20s and they even in their high school years if a girl liked sex or had many boyfriends they were just look slut Mm-hmm. Um, if she had more than one boyfriend in a certain time span or she dated more than one guy. I mean, so it's still very negative for women to want sex and it's very positive for men. So it's that disconnect is there for sure, adding to that piece. Um, there's also the component of of just the whole thing, like you were saying, Seth, that if, if it's almost like if, if our sex life is okay, then we're okay. There's a little bit of a band-aid, you know, like, well, it can't be all that bad because she's still sleeping with me. So things get missed and buried. But as you know, probably that the ultimate sex for two people is when the other problems have been worked out or worked through. And that's the culmination again, sort of like the positivity, the culmination of all the closeness ends up with sex. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, and I think too, that it is sort of 
compounded even more because women are often taught to placate men to like we are taught to be nurturing and oh well i i can adjust so that you can feel better or whatever to hold it into yeah yeah to to like well i don't really enjoy our sex but i know he needs it so women are often they are in their own minds like trying to navigate your emotional um what what we would interpret as oh he has this whole emotional world but it's all funneled into sex right so women are not only not receiving your full emotional world in a way that would be beneficial for the whole relationship. But then on top of that, we are sort of trying to make it work by just having more sex and sex we don't even enjoy. Mm -hmm. So it's this really terrible cycle of you're not sort of fleshing out the things, uh, not you specifically, but, you know, generally speaking, men are not sort of actually looking at what is this thing? Oh, it's loneliness. It doesn't equate to sex. Oh, it's, I felt abandoned as a kid. That doesn't mean I need more sex. Cause then women aren't having something to connect to. Mm-hmm. Men are just asking for more sex and it never seems better. It never feels like enough. And we've had, um, been in sessions with people and met people who've like, they're having sex multiple times a day and they are just, yeah, they hate their life, mm-hmm. but they think somehow that sex all the time is going to, and I mean, both partners just are like, a mess and hate it, but yeah. it's the, mm-hmm. it's like a cycle that they're stuck in. And then it's probably even harder. Cause I'm assuming there's a sort of a physiological cycle. If you're having sex that often, your biology, your body will want it more. Is that correct? Or does it work that way? Like training your body. If you orgasm every day, you would want to orgasm every day. Well, I mean, then you could get like into the addiction cycle and yeah, sex addicts I mean. and stuff like that. But I think so what you're talking about, it, it creates a, a feedback loop. Yes. Right. And it, with with c- couples that I've talked to before, you know, um, they can have all these uh, communication problems, other kind of problems interpersonally. And then, OK, they got lucky and ended up having sex like once a month or something like that. And the male thinks, oh, everything is cool. Oh. But then the 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 female is like no nothing's cool you know like maybe an hour after or whatever like sure that that felt good and there was you know all kinds of positive chemicals released and stuff like that but the un the overarching and underlying issue has not been fixed but Mm -hmm. the guy thinks it's fixed because all that energy emotional Mm -hmm. and physical that has been pent up and like needing release Mm -hmm. and not just physical i'm Uh talking about emotional was released and he thinks oh everything's cool Everything's yeah. fine, but the wife is, or the female partner is like, no, mm-hmm. stuff's not cool. Yeah. And then they have that communication issue. And then it like starts at the top of the feedback loop. Mm-hmm. And then it's just waiting to go through all the cycle to, to do the same thing. What is the quote you said? What you suppress? Well, it wasn't me. It was a, a Freud quote. Um, what? Oh, it was like what you were saying before. What, what gets buried? Um, oh, what is boy. it? It's what you suppress. Um, Basically, if you don't figure it out, it always comes back up. Yeah, but it, it rhymed, so it oh. was great. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is Freud in a nutshell. That's 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 who, that's the type of therapy I do is try to get that up and out because it's like a reflex. I mean, we don't like to feel pain, so part of it you have to be a little bit gentle on yourself. Um, emotional pain, we don't like to feel it, so we tend to bury it. That's why sometimes we need somebody else to tell us because you're. it pops like whack-a-mole. It pop, pops up, and pop, if you've been doing that for decades, no anger here, no neediness here. If, if you're so good at that, you're going to miss it, and that's why some people ask me, well, what can I do? 
Um, sometimes I do, I, I tell people to do the, not just journaling, but the um, journaling with a purpose. So you go back over your journal and you look at where did I <laughs> start something negative and cut myself off or come back at me? You know, because you, you can either, the, the buried emotions either explode in an inappropriate way or they implode, mm-hmm. right? So that's where suicidal thoughts can come from. Tremendous rage, feel tremendous guilt, but I love them. How can I be angry? And I'm such a bad person. Oh, my God, I deserve to die. Mm-hmm. That's an oversimplification of that. But that whole negative emotions have to be dealt with. <laughs> And if you can't do it, you know, if you if it's hard for you to catch them, you need someone who who's and this is where also a friend doesn't work because a friend has an invest, a vested interest. OK, they're not going to catch it either. They don't want you to feel pain. Mm-hmm. So it has to be someone who can doesn't have the pain that you have so they can catch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, I go back to that thought. We we have to um, uh, the only way out is through. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely yeah. true. I, yeah, I think I, I would like to know your thoughts on this, but um you said it's like negative thoughts come up like whack-a-mole and you smack them down, right? And I was thinking about this the other day that it's really hard in our current climate where when you have distraction available, like literally everywhere. So you can get on, you know, for some people it's Pinterest or a sports channel or it's Facebook or it's Snapchat. I don't even know what social media things are. But um, I would like to know if what other ways do people kind of do that and numb out and check out the second that their negative emotions pop up, what have you seen with your clients? How they numb out and check out or what they mm-hmm. do with the numbing and checking? Well, well just, either, yeah, both. <laughs> okay, so well, 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 people always tell me, well, I can't, once we get them trying to get them comfortable with their negative emotions, I can't sit there and just cry or get angry at my boss or whenever I feel it. I'm like, that's true. But it's incumbent upon you to, as an adult, to then take care of it at some point. So they have to unpack that bag at some point. So whether you have a nightly ritual, I always tell, I try to get my couples to do some kind of ritual, whether it's in the morning or at night or sometime where you just have quiet time. That's why going out to dinner is such a great date because everything's taken care of. There's no distractions. It's harder to shove it down. So if there's a difficult topic that comes up, you have this protected time to bring that hard topic up. So it doesn't matter if you bring it up in the moment. It just has to be brought up at some point so it doesn't cause that resentment and all the negative stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What other ways do you find that people will numb, though? Like what other... Addictions you know? are huge. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. Pornography mm-hmm. addiction, alcohol, all, all of it is a way to not say something. <laughs> Whatever the enemy emotion, as I call it, is, is behind those addictions. Mm. I'm working with someone who now has got a porn addiction and, um, you know, the, the kind of a clue is, but I don't know why, because my relationship is great. My relationship is great. said so my relationship is great so many times and you start to wonder why he's so defensive. So I gave him some time and about after the third session, relationship is not that great. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of rage and he's been, but because he doesn't accept it, doesn't hear that alarm bell. I always tell people these emotions aren't, um, yes, they're painful, but they're your alarm. They're telling you something. You need something. Mm-hmm. So the smoke alarm, you could say, oh, it sounds terrible. I'll take the battery out. But you got to go explore what, why is it going off? It's, mm-hmm. You need to do that. So he wasn't, he was just ignoring the alarm bell. And so he got back at her by not only engaging in porn, but having her find out. <laughs> mm-hmm. So she was furious and upset and all, all that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he just wasn't able to say, look. Uh, the way you're speaking to me right now is causing me to be very irritated. I can, I'd be better able to hear you if you say it in this fashion. I need you to say when you have some, a criticism or some, 
something you need me to do, don't criticize me. Please tell me in this fashion. So he wasn't doing any of that work at all. Mm. I read a quote this morning that said, um, the opposite of addiction is connection. And I was like, oh, that is really intriguing. That thought is so interesting. Mm. And I was thinking, because they were talking about like, oftentimes, and then the other one I um, had read recently too, was that uh, it's something like trauma is the gateway drug to addiction. Right. Essentially, it's not marijuana or wine or whatever. It's uh, it's trauma. It's abuse. It's neglect. It's not addressing things and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it just was really interesting because, as you were saying, um, you know, people will numb out with addictions. So, if a husband and a wife, if there's a pornography addiction in their marriage, just getting some sort of thing on their computer to not let the pornography be on their computer is not going to do right. anything because right. that's not, not really the problem. Right. And it, it's, it's interesting because I had never, I mean, I had known that, but until you said it that way, it hadn't had such clarity to it. Yeah. You're a rock star huh. with a great tan. No one can see your tan, but I can see it. <laughs> Part the lighting. I, think. <laughs> well, right. I don't know. I look like a Casper over here. So I'm jealous. Okay. <laughs> I, I saw that quote too. And that, are you familiar with the work of Dr. Uh, Gabor Mate up from Vancouver, uh, BC? No. He does a lot of stuff on harm reduction and uh, opioid uh, addicts and the mm-hmm. homeless population. And he has a ton of research out. And he, uh, some of the emerging research that he's putting out is actually the link between any kind of addiction. This is what he says. Any mm-hmm. kind of addiction is relatable to trauma. It's not mm-hmm. anything else but trauma. It might, it might be uh, a small trauma or a large overt trauma, but anything is... You can fast forward, and there's going to be an addictive process of some sort that comes up. Workaholic, you know, alcoholic, uh, drugs and alcohol, pornography, anything like that. And it's just, it's really interesting. And that that uh, trauma is the gateway drug mm-hmm. to drugs mm-hmm. is uh, pretty interesting. And I haven't yeah. thought a ton about it, but... Um, it's just something I recently came across, and I thought, as you were mentioning, it's like connection is the opposite of addiction. And it really is. It's like connectivity, community, relationship, actually know it. connection to yourself, Yes. Not just someone else. Connection to yourself. Being able to say, these are my, what did you call them? My uh, the en- emotion, any emotion, en- enemy yeah. emotions. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like if you can say to yourself and be connected enough to yourself to know my enemy emotion is f- fear or discomfort or abandonment or whatever. Um, and y- I just think that's so powerful to to think of it in that way. What, who was the name of the guy that you said? Gabor Mate. Is he going to listen to the podcast? I doubt it. Can I say that his name sounds like a really good drink at Starbucks? <laughs> Have a Yerba. Gabor Mate. Please. Beautiful. Sure, you can. Even if he listens to it. So, okay. One, one more thing because we want to be respectful of your time. Can you speak a bit to some of the resources that you have online and where people can find your stuff? And one resource in particular that caught my eye was your uh, ebook, How to Read the Red Flags. Yes. And how to how to get out of toxic relationships because I'm like I said a a marriage and family therapist and sometimes we do premarital stuff and dating couples and couples that have been married for years and more so with the couples who haven't been together for so long but you can just see right through it when they come yeah. in like you guys simply do not belong together you know mm-hmm. like lady you got to get out of here or like mm-hmm. dude. This is a She's train not wreck. your mom. She, yeah. yeah, this is this is a train wreck. So can you speak briefly to some of those red flags? Well, the red flags are so important because um, it fits right with what we're talking about because I, I see people, so they get into a relationship, it's one of the red flag is a pathological altruism. Okay, so they're covering up their 
neediness. So these people have so many problems and they want to fix, 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 fix them, right? So they're not having to deal with any neediness on their part. So I, it's very painful because they may, they, they say things like, well, I love this person, but she's an alcoholic. She can't hold a job. <laughs> All these things like, but you're, you're saying that as if you can't fall in love with someone who's healthy, who doesn't have any red flags. Mm-hmm. Red flag relationships aren't going to go away. Red flag people have problems that are so intrinsic that I, I don't take red flag people. I mean, most it's like um, sociopathy, so, sociopaths. It's so in, ingrained, it takes forever or very, very, very long time to change them. So it's not the same as, well, they would say, well, everybody has problems. Well, no, there's degree of problems. Mm-hmm. You know, and you have to have empathy, ability to care for yourself, um, ability to follow the law. You know, those are the three basic uh, red flags, non-red flags we look for. If you don't have those, you you, you can't have a relationship. That, those problems are going to take center stage all the time. You have to have someone who has empathy, ability to control themselves, ability to care for themselves in order to have uh, be able to have that trust build to share what you need to share. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's so true. Like you, you're uh, talking about the sociopathy. It, it makes me think about clients that I've had who have had actual personality disorders, like major mm-hmm. uh, narcissism or especially borderline. Those are the hardest to work with, at least for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I have several clients who have BPD, and it's it's really mm-hmm. difficult. Well, one thing I, that brought up that I was thinking about is that we talked about addiction earlier, and I feel like and. Y'all know this because you're smart. But is there a thing <laughs> where people are addicted to problems? Like people are just addicted to wanting, whether it's, and I guess what, it, what I'm thinking of as I am saying it is what you were saying a minute ago where I'm just going to focus on all of your problems. I'm going to become addicted to fixing you so that I never have to look at myself. So what is that called? I'm not sure there's a DSM diagnosis for that. There's probably right, something make close to it. But that's definitely... Yeah. Mm-hmm. But are you no, talking no. about the reverse where somebody just all they can do is talk about their problems? Well, either. I mean, both because I've seen uh-huh. we've seen it in um, listeners who will email us. And it's like either there's this massive laundry list of what their partner can never do right or it's this or that. And it's but it's all this, this, this. Or it's the other way. Oh, well, I can't because I I have this. I have this disease. I have this problem. My parents did this to me. So what is I mean, I know those are different things and they have like a zillion reasons but what are your thoughts on that idea yeah it's very interesting actually well either you're making the other person the victim they need my help all the time right Mm -hmm. that person's an adult they don't need your help you're you're fantasizing that or i'm the victim i I can never get better i never i'm I'm, I'm a lost cause Mm -hmm. so we call those not you're right there's an dsm that i know of but there is what we call a defense so it's a way to hide the feeling so if i'm the problem all the time I don't have to tell you, you're irritating me. You're causing me a problem. <laughs> so again, it's a way to cover up whatever emotion they feel they can't say. Yeah. So drama seeking kind yeah. of kind of person, which, you know, I've probably been that on and off. Yes, <laughs> I you say, have. I think we all have maybe <laughs> yeah. a, a little bit at times. But yeah, so where can people find what you would like them to find about you? I know you have a website and different medias. I do. Well, first of all, I always tell people they can call me. I answer my own phone, not all the time, uh, 
my staff gets mad when I do, but I like to talk to people. And um, so you always give me a call, 757-340-8800. And what I tell people is that we do do remote counseling and uh, coaching, but um, if you need someone, if you want someone in your area, we also have a service where we'll look up people, we'll at least narrow that search down for you because it'd be so overwhelming to try to find someone who's mm-hmm. um, does the kind of work that they need done. Mm-hmm. I also have, yes, my website, lauradabney.com. If you'll permit me to give you a link, um, I do have an article on this, a selfish article that talks a lot about what we're talking about that I'd love to give your listeners. Yes. Okay, so it would just be lauradabney.com forward slash anatomy of a marriage. Perfect. Just go to that page and they can grab that and it talks about everything we talked about today. <laughs> yeah, awesome. awesome. And we can, we'll share that on our Facebook in the, in the show notes thing too. and everything as well. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Yeah. That's awesome. What about Instagram or Facebook yep. or anything? Instagram, uh, I, I love Instagram. Um, <laughs> Laura Dabney com, so no dot Laura Dabney com, and Facebook's Laura Dabney MD. Okay. Awesome, I'm great in both places. Yeah, I do. I do Tuesday uh, talks on my um, Facebook Lives on Tuesdays. I'll be doing that later today, <laughs> and on Instagram, I do little mini videos of that talk, so you can catch mm-hmm. them the same uh, topic both places. Perfect. Awesome. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us. And thank you, you guys. So much letting fun. Letting us be you. silly. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll uh, steer people your way. I uh, know well, a referral a referral base now if I have yeah. folks in the Virginia Absolutely. Beach area. And yeah, thank you so much. It was a blast. It was very nice. I mean, mental health, it can be fun to work out mental health <laughs> stuff, as you guys prove all the time. So It can, yeah. It can be very rewarding. <laughs> So. Well, thank you again so much and have Thank an amazing you. day. Bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.